Hey, are you running um, Beta Breakers this year? I am, sure. No, I'm not doing it this year. <laughs> chicken, Peter, you just a little chicken. Cheep, 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 cheep. Who are you calling a chicken? I just sure. don't like all the weirdos. There's too many weirdos there. I, I, I don't mind. Mark, do you remember the one with big tits, the blondie one? No, how about the one with the bridal gown with the sign? Oh, yeah, can you marry me? <laughs> I thought I would take her up on it. <laughs> I never ate so much. Yeah, the barbecue chicken was delicious rice. That was cool. Episode 157 of the Cult of Matt and Mark Cult Film Review Podcast. I'm Matt. And I'm Mark. And make sure to head over to the Facebook of the Cult of Matt and Mark and like us, or head over to our blog at cultfilmreview.blogspot.com, or shoot us an email at cultfilmreview at gmail.com. I'm going to save my book promo. It doesn't seem to work, and so fuck it. So uh, Fuck that shit, man. <laughs> Life's pointless, and there's no way we can secede. The whole world's turned against us. That's right, man. It's futile. Uh, let's embrace the HP Lovecraft uh, cosmic uh, nihilism view of the universe. That's what I say. <laughs> that sounds like that's actually a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun, man. That's the way, that's the way I live my. That's the way I live my days. So, uh, been a long time, Mister Hudson. Uh, a lot of health problems going on, and uh, you took a detour down to New Orleans. Uh, I assume you got on the hog, easy rider style. Took the old oh yeah, down, down there. Yeah, I had some run-ins with some hicks. It was tough. No man, but well, your uh, hair's growing a little long. You got to watch that shit down the south. Uh, I, I don't quite look as good in that uh, the leather uh, Captain America suit, though. I'm afraid. Shocking. Did you uh, blow it? That's what I'm wondering. Did I blow him? No. (laughs) The the, uh, enigmatic line uh, uttered by Peter Fonda. Oh, well, I sort of blew it. I sort of felt. I sort of felt like I blew it because I got sort of drunk on Bourbon Street, and on and then I couldn't sleep all that night because I was sick to my stomach. I'd been a long time since Uh, I've overdrank, and then the whole next day. I just was like the Walking Dead. I just I, I hated life oh, and funny. everything in it. I was they felt call so that terrible. Uh, the Hangover. I believe that's a Hangover. Correct? Yeah, well, it was terrible, and uh, I don't think I'm going to do that again for the remainder of my life. Isn't that shocking? That's what happens to you when you, I, I I strangely got. Uh, I think it was a. I don't know how long ago it was. Uh, one of my buddies brought over some food, and. Uh, we were watching TV after the after the kid went down, and I just drank too much, and then mm-hmm. I threw up in the middle of the night. Oh and I was my like, god! Oh, food poisoning. And then you know, in the morning, I was like, you know what? It wasn't food poisoning. poisoning. You just fucking drunk off your <laughs> fucking. Ass. It was booze poisoning. <laughs> you asshole. <laughs> so yeah, when was this no. recently? Oh, I was like back this fall. I don't. Oh, that's remember. amazing. I really wanted to throw up, but I just. I hadn't, I hadn't thrown, I haven't thrown up for years and years. As it takes usual. practice. It takes really, it takes some practice. You got to get, uh, you know, you got to get. Uh, if if you're, uh, I would have felt better if I just would have horfed like about no, three in the morning. It's the worst. If you horf within a few, if you don't fall asleep, mm-hmm. if you horf like after drinking, it's so much better on you than if you sleep like four hours and then you do it because it's just like. 
black bile at that point. You know, I had a, I have a better idea. Don't spend one hundred and forty dollars on drinks. Jesus Christ, man! In New Orleans. New Orleans. What the fuck are you doing? I think they throw that and shit stuff? in plastic. Oh, yeah. no! It's 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 just a, it's another town. I mean, that part of the town is just a way to extract twenty dollar bills in succession from your wallet. Shock, my friend. Over, over an evening, yeah. Yeah. Well, did you have a good time, sort of the whole experience, or was that did that taint it? Well, it was actually sort of a shortened trip. I ended up having to delay my flight out by a couple of days. Everybody else went out before me, and I had, um, you know, the the day the day before the night I got drunk, I had a good time because they were having a music festival in town. So okay. everybody else went on a swamp tour, which I th- thought would be pretty fun. But there was a couple of bands I wanted to check out at this festival, so I sort of. Went out on my own, you know, and really, um, you're that current with music. That there was a couple of bands playing that you wanted to check out. Well, there's like, I mean, there was basically one, a classic band called the New Birth Band. Right. It's sort of a New Orleans staple. It's one of those bands that has gone on for decades, and they move people move in and out of the band. And they were playing. It's sort of a staple, sort okay. of New Orleans sound. When you think of New Orleans music, that's they. Sort I of think of Doctor John when I think of New Orleans, but. Yeah, I'm not really up on it, but it's just, you know, I just did like the cursory, like, if I'm in, you know, what are the, what are the, like the key bands What's this New shit Orleans? going on now? It's like Dixieland and Zydeco and all yeah, that. Yeah, I saw a Zydeco stuff. band. I saw Dickie, Dickie something, Dickie Do and the Zydeco crew. Wow, they were, they were pretty awesome good. Name, man. Fucking Dickie uh, Do and the Zydeco crew. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it. I had a good time, but then later that day I ended up. In the, I was already in the French Quarter. I ended up in the, and, you know, I got sort of drunk. the Spanish then, Quarter. You don't want to go there after. That. <laughs> then I was pretty sick. But the day was the day it was nice. You know, it was sort of fun walking around. They had like, uh, like this festival is just sponsored by booze manufacturers, and like so basically the, <laughs> New the, Orleans. The show's free, shocking. and you go in there and you buy. You know, you buy like I had like this. They gave me like this tumbler thing, and they just refill it with like you know slurried uh, sweetened uh, booze. Oh, it was always yeah. sort of. It was, it was actually pretty fun. Other than that, I don't know. I was only there for like two full days, so okay. it was sort of a pretty brief trip. I think it could be nice. It's sort of one weird thing about it is it's sort of like the Southern culture, and I mean, it's sort of the 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 Southern Black culture is sort of weird. I mean, I'm okay. not used to it, and so like because you're racist. That's I, probably I why. got into town and I'm like heading to the house we rented, and I get a call. Oh, you rented a oh, house. That's cool, man. Do uh, you know you, you got to pick up some um, you got to pick up some uh, vodka and some um, tonic water? I guess that's what they're drinking back at the house. Right. Vodka tonics this is a pretty classic drink. Yeah, and just I, uh, weird that they like make you swerve out to some ghetto liquor store to go get it. Well, basically, I, mean, I just stopped at it was a liquor store. It was like a convenience store, and like. I go inside and it's the weirdest place. It's like all the customers are black and that's run by like this Middle Eastern family, it seems like. Sure. And so I'm like walking down the aisles. It's just, they got, it's just the weirdest thing. Like they, they got this huge meat section and then they enjoy their meat in Southern Louisiana. And, and then like, I like go to the beverage section. It's like, just like one, there's like diet Pepsi is the only diet soda. And the rest <laughs> oh, is like just sugary stuff. Yeah. All of it. Well, no, and, well, and I couldn't right. find any tonic water, and so I asked them. The people who ran the convenience store had never heard of tonic water. Really? They were not familiar with it. And then I went Did to another just... place. 
Uh, they did have vodka, luckily, so I bought some of that. I went to another place and they didn't have tonic water there. It was weird. It was really, the stores are really weird. Friend. I think the thing is just that the selection's different. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, So yeah. you're just not really used to it. I was just trying to find like a big supermarket. I, I heard there was a Walmart that's sort of like that in town. In the but south? I ne- but I never made weird. it to the Walmart. I could okay. never find it. Well, I have a buddy uh, I work with. I won't name his name, but he grew up in New Orleans, and he is an African-American gentleman. And I said, hey, man, you ever think about like moving back to New Orleans? He's like, fuck that shit. <laughs> yeah, it's a weird I, mix of poverty and affluence. It's like there's tons of rundown places, and there's tons of people just walking around sort of aimlessly on the streets and stuff. And then there's like all these fucking, you know, like, Top of lies Mercedes Benz and BMWs yeah. parked all over the place. It's really a well, weird city. It's weird because it has, I, I would call them kind of social slummers, especially like some of the artistic crowd. Like, uh, like I was thinking like Trent, Trent Reznor and, uh, oh shit, who is that sort of edgy? Uh, the White female. Stripes guy? No, 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 no. Uh, Annie DeFranco. Was like, oh I yeah, think she she's like sort of uh, New Orleans, but it, it it has like this weird kind of edgy artist artistic like ethnic slumming kind of vibe. I don't know, maybe that's part of it, but uh, I don't know. From from kind of my buddies talking about it, he just never says anything good. So I just kind of I write it off as is anything. Um, you know, other than maybe a weekend excursion like what you had. Oh, so. I mean, I think if you're really deep in the music, I think there's a big musical tradition, which is fun. Yeah, Otherwise, it's sort of, I think it's like it's humanity more in its natural state, a little closer to the, oh, okay. a little closer to, I don't know what it is, the, I don't know, more of a, it's just, it's just, uh, it's kind of a weird vibe. I don't know if it really, it's a little uh, post-apocalyptic. It does, it, I don't know if it totally matches up with the, the tight-ass West Coast Caucasian yeah, lifestyle, man. necessarily. That's a living scene. You'd have to sort of get into it, I think. I mean, you certainly could, but it is a, it's definitely a different thing down there. So, uh, you know, one of the more famous movies of all time was uh, set in New Orleans, and uh, Mr. Hudson, what movie is that? A famous movie of all time set in New Orleans? Yeah. To Kill a Mockingbird. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Uh, There's a lot of synergy. Streetcar Named Desire. There you go, my friend. Okay. I've never and, seen that. Uh, we should watch that sometime. I've seen it. Uh, yeah. There's a few lines I, I remember. Somebody's yelling Stella. at yeah, the Stella business. And uh, I've always relied upon the kindness of strangers. I forget. I forget who's. I forget if that's the line or not. You know, it's funny. It's funny you should mention Stella because in our month hiatus, uh, while Matt was was you know. Like in a medically induced coma and all iron lung later. Iron lung. <laughs> they actually they dusted off an iron lung for yeah, you. Yeah, like, fuck this guy. I, iron uh, lung city, my friend. I, in addition to doing the other various bullshit that I've been filling my time with, I uh, listened to Greg Stastero's book, The Disaster Artist, My Life Inside the Room. Uh, Whoa. Mark is going to be full of factoids. Like this, Greg Stastero uh, was the guy who played Mark in uh, the movie. Uh, he wrote okay. a book with like another guy. Really? He that guy wrote a book? Yeah, it's it's, it's actually does not seem book capable. It's, it's it's actually very well reviewed. Um though I found it to be okay as far as the writing style. I mean it was I mean uh it was sort of amateurish in a certain sense. But actually it was pretty interesting and there's pretty funny spot where Greg uh Greg Sestero met um 
uh, Ameta Tommy Let's get okay. Let's get. We okay, have, well, just one second. He met him. All right. He met him at some acting classes, and there's a pretty funny. He talks about some of his of Tommy's acting, and there's one part yeah. where he's actually doing that Stella routine. And I can, t- I can talk about it later. Well, basically, he just hams it up and just keeps yelling Stella all over the place and starts. He's like he just really overacts that scene. It's, it's pretty funny. shocking. It's, and he gets torn apart by their acting coaches. So let me do the formal introduction uh, this week uh, or this month. I should say our film is the um, strange cult classic. Uh, the Citizen Kane of bad films. Uh, the Room. Uh, circa 2003, uh, I, a really quick plot rundown. Uh, Johnny is a successful banker who lives happily in San Francisco townhouse with his fiance, although she's never called the fiance, future wife, Lisa. <laughs> One day, inexplicably, she gets bored of him and decides to su- seduce Johnny's best friend, Mark. From there, nothing will be the same again. That's kind of enough said, as I would say. So, um hmm Continue on with your thread. Oh no! Uh, I mean, uh, it just uh, uh, the the interesting thing about that book. If, if you ever choose to listen to it, I listen to it. On. Mark Sestero, uh, I I mean, uh, Greg Sestero narrated it himself. Did a pretty decent job for a non professional, but he did have a fair amount of acting training. Did some soap opera work, though. He yeah. sort of, I think he sort of falls. He's very soap opera. Yeah, he's a pretty handsome, uh, a mid twenties guy. You know, so he got a lot of work based on that. And he, he was able to, he you know, one thing he's really good at is voices. He should really consider doing, oh. like, like, cartoon work. Because SpongeBob. he had Tommy's, Tommy Wiseau's uh, voice and the other voices of the of the characters. And a lot of people that were surrounding the movie, uh, he would he would just, he did, he did amazing impressions, especially of Tommy. He had all his mannerisms down. So he, he really, he really did a really great job. I was, I was so, pretty impressed. So Tommy Wasau, what is his what okay, what is his accent? What is his ethnicity? Where well, the fuck is that guy from? He's never really been clear about where he comes from or where he's been. Um Greg Sestero pieces some things together and puts forward some uh thoughts. I guess he must have eventually had a falling out with Tommy. I mean a a, a permanent falling out with him. Uh, before he wrote this book, because he pretty much just airs Tommy's dirty laundry as far as he can see it. Um, and but uh, Tommy's really super secretive. Tommy Wiseau. Um, uh, do you think so he's, he's never, like? He's, a... never, he's but he's he got about as close to Greg as he got to anybody. At okay. least in, in the period of time that the movie was made, and in the few years leading up to it, when they met in acting class. And um, Greg's best guess, and he sort of tells us like he's telling a little story he tells a little he says these little stories of tommy's early life because he's sort of surmising things and piecing together that he grew up in a very poor uh like eastern european like soviet block country okay. I, and I, I uh he and his brother or cousin uh when they were like teenagers um were able to get out behind the iron curtain and ended up in france uh, right. and uh, they actually worked sort of as slave labor, as sometimes happens to uh, yeah, man, people who uh, you know deal with your ass. Well, I mean, you deal with sort of the you know the dark end society. Get yourself get at, get, get yourself you know uh, 
to immigrate illegally. And then he eventually worked his way to the to the U.S., um, where he uh, started a business selling, importing these little toys and okay. uh, selling them to tourists, like on the boardwalks in like New Weird, Jersey man. or down in um, down in uh, New Orleans, possibly. And ba- and he ended up uh, actually creating sort of a business empire. And amassing a fortune over time. What? <laughs> Selling like junk at tourist traps? Yeah, he ended up. Uh, I think his later business was like he owned some clothing stores that bought like you know like those clothing stores that sell like the stuff that comes out of the factory not quite right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. He like, started this business called Urban Street Fashions or something, where he oh sold God. that stuff, and I guess he had a number of stores. And he ended up amassing several million dollars and a couple of buildings and stuff. And that's where we find him, where he find where he runs into Greg Sesteros, where he's decided to make a switch in his life and pursue his acting. It's so dreams. weird. <coughs> it's like he's almost a. Um, it's so like his backstory is so fantastical. It's almost like he's a character in his own movie. Well, he's supposed. I think he's. I think he's actually in his late fifties. What? He's or in his late 50s? He's like in his mid to late 50s. In the and film that we're watching? Yeah, and he's sort of obsessed with youth, so he's had like plastic surgery. Yeah, yeah you get that. Keeps himself in super great shape and dyes his hair black. And he has this sort of obsession with youth, uh, which he should be. I mean, and I think that's why he sort of gloms on to Greg Sesteros, the guy who plays Mark, because Mark's sort of a young actor. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. handsome. Well, you think stuff. there's sort of, um, the movie gives you the impression of any impression that the movie can actually give you mm-hmm. is that uh, they're uh, at least aged contemporaries, right? They're, they're sort of uh, the same demographic. Yeah. You know, they're both out, out jogging, playing ridis- ridiculous football games in like 10 square feet of space uh-huh. and uh, all that kind of nonsense. Yeah, you sort of get this impression that they're, they're, they're like of the same age. Uh, I mean, that was that's how it was written when uh, Tommy Wiseau... Uh, wrote the film. Yeah. He was really so, obsessed with youth. It was a big thing. So he never told anybody his age. He had like a, his driver's license had him like 32 years old. Oh, he's probably at least two decades older than that. It's not That's really right. clear. Even Mark, even Greg Sestero doesn't know how old he really is. As I always say with, uh, you know, when people say, well, uh, you know, 60s, the new 40 and uh, all that bullshit. Mm-hmm. I always say, you know what? 75 still statistically dead. <laughs> so <laughs> if you're a guy, yeah. Oh yeah, exactly. What eighty? I think is for women, right? Climate uh, U.S. I think yeah, somewhere around there. Yeah. So this is uh, the room is a, uh, it has a cult following, and and to be honest, after watching it, um, it was one of those films that I thought about the next day, and maybe the day after, because it was so uh, laughably. It was it was fun to watch, I guess for me. It, it had it was, you know. There's bad movies and then there's bad movies, and and to me, the worst crime of any movie is to bore you, right? Is to is to is to basically, um, whatever whatever its shtick is, is just to like just really bore you, and then uh, kind of leave you leave you off at the loading dock, and 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 you just forget it the next day. You know, I've seen a million 
sort of multi-gazillion dollar action films that have done that. But The Room, for whatever reason, like some kind of bad residue, stuck in my head a few days after watching it. So for that, I would call it a watchable film. And you know what I mean? It's, it's not a, it, it, by any stretch, it's, it's probably one of the worst movies ever filmed. And I understand its cult following. I understand why people like uh, Jonah Hill and Alec Baldwin are like huge fans of it. Um, but I must say, what, whatever it was about Tommy Wiseau when he made this, uh, whether it was a blind ignorance of his own ego or his, uh, I guess, like, obviously, uh, ignorance of his own skill. There's actually a word for this personality type. Somebody who thinks that, uh, uh, of low skill, who think that they've mastered some kind of art form. I read about it recently. I don't Mm -hmm. remember what, but he's one of those guys. He's one of those guys that, uh, hell or high water, he has no self-awareness about how bad the room really was, Mm -hmm. which makes it an endearing film to watch. At least that was my opinion, and I'm sure you have a completely different one. But uh, well, it's uh, tough. It's tough to sort of extricate, extricate myself from the framework that Greg Sestero set up for me, but from the book, yeah, from, from just watching the movie. I mean, there's so much. It adds so much to the background. But I think that you're right that uh, Tommy Wiseau is basically an unskilled auteur. Yeah, exactly. He's like, what What sort of movies would Hitchcock make if he was terrible at making movies? Right, right, right. But, we, but you have that same drive. And, and it's it's really weird. Um, this movie is exactly what Tommy Wiseau had in mind. This is exactly the film he wanted to make. He wrote a script. What you see on the screen well, is the script. He All was those lines a weird, he like, wrote, and they from, didn't go off script uh, in the movie. From some of the stuff I've read, he was a weird perfectionist about this film, right? He um, had he was uh, obsessive. I don't think perfection's quite the word because he well, didn't really know okay. what perfect meant because he didn't really have any filmmaking yeah, skills. No, that's a good point. Yeah, and yeah. he was a terrible actor. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, and he was a terrible writer. Uh, <laughs> but he had a vision. And he made the movie to match that vision. And I think I think the movie's what he wanted it to be. He wanted it to be a real powerhouse tragedy. In this whole movie, he wanted a movie that would shake the very foundation of the moviegoer's mind. I think one thing um, that really did it is uh, both about a year or so before this movie got started, uh, the talented Mr. Ripley came out. And uh, Greg and uh, Tommy went and saw it together. And that movie really shook Tommy Wiseau. Uh, and I think this, was so, this movie was sort of a script that Tommy wrote in, um, I, I guess he was sort of moved by it. And he said, you know, sure. I, I, can tell, I can tell a story that would shake people. I can tell a story, a tragic story about a man who people will resonate with and they'll they'll be thinking about it it'll devastate them you know they won't be able yeah. to eat for weeks after they watch it and this is what this is what he wrote 
Uh, one one of the things that was sort of a response. I don't mean to just sit here and talk about the book. No, no, no go the, ahead. It's good. It's good stuff. The thing is, uh, Tommy had tried to break into acting in the eighties, I believe, and didn't have any luck. And so this was sort of a second time. This was like his big last gasp as he was getting older well, and some when plastic you, surgery. When you ha- when you have some money to throw around, uh, you can. You know, you can you can kind of get this shit done for better or worse. In this case, yeah, worse. See, I think I, that's where the story. I think where the where the real tragedy of the whole story comes in is because. So Tommy was making another push. He sort of changed his look, had some plastic surgery, dyed his hair, got super muscular, and then Mark just was coming up and trying to get into acting. Now Mark's not a terribly skilled actor, mind you, and he wasn't really even that skill serious of a thespian. He just wanted to get in the show business. Yeah, uh, and so. While they're both taking classes and Mark's having reads and getting odd jobs here and there and soap operas and commercials and stuff. He's a good looking dude, though. Yeah, he's a good looking fellow and he's he's got a nice personality. He has some good, actually some good voice skills. Um, uh, Tommy wasn't even one call in. Now, uh, Greg wasn't making any money. He wasn't making enough to live off. Actually, he was sort of living at a a shitty apartment uh, in L.A. that uh, Tommy was out owned. Uh, that had been sitting vacant for like a decade and a half. Did it? Did it have like a rooftop where they could all hang out and play football? Uh, no, I can tell you about right. how that rooftop stuff was filmed. But um, it was green screen bullshit. Yeah, yeah, terrible. it was. Um, yeah. uh, and and Tommy was about the same. Tommy was really getting disheartened because he knew uh, Greg was getting all sorts of work. You know, he saw Greg as the big success story, and Tommy. Yeah, yeah. Finally, finally sunk into him that nobody wanted to hire him because he was a weirdo. Yeah. He, he had a terrible look. He couldn't act. <laughs> he talked like Pedro from fucking Napoleon Dynamite. Yeah, was, I mean, the, the, I think it finally sunk into him. This is sort of happened the same time they watched the talented Mr. Ripley. That if he's ever going to do anything in Hollywood, he's ever going to make something of himself as part of this dream of the entertainment business. You, you know, he wanted to He's be. He's got to do it himself. They'd have to do it all himself, and he right. he was dead right. He would have I to know. do it all himself. He'd have to bankroll it. He'd have to write it. He'd have to produce. It, he'd have to star in it. So yep. that this is that movie. This is that. This is his dream. And if it cost him several million dollars to do, and that's what it, that's what it cost. But he got. See, it. there's this weird. Uh, it's this weird sort of chemistry. I would say uh, of of producing art and having and as somebody who has attempted to produce art, I guess in the form of novel writing, mm-hmm. I there's this weird balance, and the balance is it's a combination of uh, I would say it's even less talent and more persistence, and persistence is really the key. And people sort of underestimate uh, the blind persistence that is required to achieve anything in, in the artistic realm. And what's really weird is in the room, you get this combination of basically what I would call, I wouldn't call it zero talent, but I'd call very little to absolutely no cultured talent. Like Tommy Wasau is lacks sort of a self-criticism that makes great artists and you know whether it's vincent van gogh cutting off his own fucking ear there's sort of this level of of deprecation that occurs in the artists that that 
um, you know, is 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 a is self critical element, and then it can be detrimental. But it needs to be there. It, you need to look at what you've created and go, "That's shit. I need to start over and do it again." That's shit. I need to start over and do it again. And you need to do this a lot, and you need to be rejected a lot. And he had the rejection going, but he didn't have that key self critical eye that lets you augment and mature in a way that that you can grow but he had that persistence and that's really odd about this film that's all that he, he had well and it's he didn't and, have any god-given talent he didn't have to he didn't have any ability to reflect upon himself which is the thing that's so the all thing he had was tenacity and a bankroll it was probably the same tenacity that let him amass a fortune in like some sort of weird in selling shit so so for me the 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 uh calculus behind all this is is you will have i guess what i would call hypercritical hipsters out there who berate and deride every form of art that they come across finding the most obscure kind of uh you know unearthed bit of arcana that they glom onto uh, yet those people don't produce anything, and if they do, they produce it in a spurt, and it goes and dies, uh, you know, anonymously in 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 sort of a, uh, I guess a, a a grave of criticism of no criticism. What Tommy did is I would consider more noble. Strangely, he fucking produced something. As shitty and funny and ridiculous and bad as it is, Tommy Wiseau fucking produced something and entertained people while doing it. And, 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 you know, inadvertently, it wasn't what obviously as laughably bad as the room is. It was a byproduct. But yet Alec Baldwin and Jonah Hill are fans of this film. You know, so what? I mean, to me, that seems more noble. And I don't know. To me, uh, when anybody who hasn't produced jack shit artistically uh, talks about, you know, in in, in sort of a, what would I would call hypercritical or or, uh, almost, I would call it trollish way uh, of somebody else's work that they produced. To me, the person that produced the work is always more noble than its critic, regardless of how terrible it is. And and well, that's kind of my I don't disagree with you there, but this is not a very good movie. It's a terrible movie. So, Absolutely terrible. I mean, but sure, is, the critics the critic is being a critic is not noble. Sitting here talking about f- films is not necessar- is not really a noble pursuit. Making them is the artistic pursuit, but it's uh, magnitudes higher in difficulty. What, what in making the film or yeah, criticizing making them versus criticizing? Yeah, no. So I, I mean, you're exactly. saying the criticism is not on par with filmmaking, and I don't disagree with you there. But then again, it doesn't mean that when you call a spade a spade, it's not valid critique. You know what no, I mean? No, I'm with you. No, this this movie is terrible. It's 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 so laughably yeah. bad. It's fun, but it is watchable. And uh, I did enjoy watching it because mm-hmm. it was so bad. Well, why, so, don't we, why don't we talk a little bit about the film then? Yeah, let's talk about the film. 
I mean, I think this backstory <laughs> is important, but yeah, maybe we should talk about the film. And I so, wonder, wonder where we should start. So here, okay. So let me film. let me let me let me get my uh, scalpel out and dissect the frog a little bit. So there's there's the uh, I guess the uh, the the story. Um, here's my problem with all this is that Tommy Wiseau mm-hmm. uh, means for you to care about characters that have no backstory. And, and, and he has like a significant amount of film time to do it, but you're never given the backstory of any of the characters. Mm-hmm. And, and so what that does is it's like you're watching a, like as you said, a soap opera. You're watching an hour and a half hour and a half uh, soap opera, like midweek, you know, of a storyline that's been perpetuating for months and years. And so you're like, why the fuck do I care about Tommy? Why the fuck do I care about Lisa? I don't. They don't have any backstory. There's no character development in any of the characters. Well, there's there's not no character development. There's just very little. And it's not necessarily... It's not really fed to you in a reasonable fashion. You, there's little tiny bits and pieces that sort of occur randomly throughout the film. But, I mean, he tries. I mean, when he's talking about the um, the Johnny character, he talks about his troubles at work. Like when he goes off of, why don't they give me the raise? I saved yeah. a bunch of money, right? But what the fuck is he doing wrong? You don't ever figure it out. You're like... Well, he, he, it's, he seems like kind of like a fucking idiot with long hair. I, I wouldn't give him a fucking raise either. And there's nothing there that, like, you know, is it his inner demons? Is it his uh No, 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 know, no, no, passion? no. Johnny's a pure, perfect uh, person. He has friends that he cares for and who love him dearly. Uh, he, does, he, does, he thinks of nothing but doing good for other people. That's the whole point. He's sort of Johnny's sort of a Christ-like figure. He's everything that's good about a person. He loves and is loved, but then he's ultimately betrayed by everybody around him. That's the tragedy. That's well, the that's, story. That, that's that's when he sat down at his typewriter, uh-huh. fucking word processor. Tommy Wasal. Yeah, that was the idea he had in mind. Yes, right? he secluded that- himself behind uh, in the living room apartment he was sharing with Greg. Behind like a curtain made out of like uh, red velvet, and he that's he did that he worked he worked like night and day for uh, a couple of months while he wrote this thing. So yeah, he the had pro- the great tragedy. He wanted to shake people, so he created this beautiful person, sort of an archetype of how he saw himself, I think, and, and the, had and, him betrayed terribly. And the problem is, is Tom the 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 Johnny character is is such a unintentional clown in the film that all that just just gets pissed away in bad performances and silly writing and oh hi lisa you know it it, it like it's like a weird comp you know what i mean it's it's he's like almost a retard walking through the fucking <laughs> film and it's sort of blind i don't know what you would call it like yeah it's I don't know how to, you know, it shouldn't. No, have he's been. an innocent. That's how I see Johnny. He I didn't think look that's like how he's an innocent, written. though. I mean, why he does he? Why, I mean, like, 
just because he's got greasy black hair and he's like just totally ripped. But how does he not pray? He does nothing but help people. He's never thinks about the worst about people. He's always there to give somebody a hand, like you know, like that little that like young man who he that, sort of they, takes under that's his right. wing. The voyeur that likes watching him and Lisa fuck. Yeah, that yeah. sort of implies that he wants to see them fuck. Yeah. Which is actually sort of, I don't know if that's a clumsy problem, writing. Apparently. I think that's just clumsy writing. I don't think that's what he meant. <laughs> it's fucking weird is what it was. It was uh, just goofy. But, I mean, like when Denny has his dr- problem with the drug dealer on the roof. That's fucking awesome. <laughs> and then a- that, just story, that just goes the fuck away. That just goes Yeah, away. yeah, no, that's just, a, that, but I think the, the, the I think what Tommy was going for there when he wrote it is that Johnny doesn't care. Look, Danny, you got into some trouble. But I'm here for you. What do you need? Do you need some money to help it out? You, you know, tell me your problems. We'll make it fine. We'll work this out. He's always, as I say, he's he's a pure, he's a pure nice guy. And that's all he is. He's always about helping people out. He's never thinking the worst about people. And when he does a little bit, he becomes tortured. And when it, the re, the reveal happens, well, you see the, the ultimate conclusion of the movie. Yeah, he can't yeah, deal fucking- with it. The fucking right? crazy ass. He can't Obviously. deal. He can't deal with uh, being abused like that. So I mean, he's he's like a child, a beautiful, innocent child. And and let me ask you what what the misfire of the whole thing is. The uh, lack of uh, what's the right what's the right word? Uh, the ability to. Uh, I guess endear the Johnny character in that way, other than thinking that he seems kind of retarded. You know what I mean? I mean uh, what I is the? What are you saying? Why? I mean, I don't know if I, I've necessarily found the movie f- funny. I guess that's sort of well. When he blows, uh, oh, spoilers! Can I do spoilers? spoilers. Yeah, that's where you can do spoilers. When the uh, tragic end of Johnny occurs there in the uh, final sequence, you, you just giggle. <laughs> you know, you just giggle. You didn't giggle? You're getting all... No, no, I wasn't moved either. I just sort of perplexed in a lot of ways. It's just fucking silly. It was pretty, I, the, it was pretty goofy, especially afterwards with, like, with Mark and Lisa and their interaction with Denny. They're, like, emotion switch a couple of times. There's no, like, consistency in, like, the lines. Like, when they're, like, arguing and then they're like hugging and then there he's yelling at Denny, but then it makes no sense. Like when they're crying around the body, sort of around the body of Caesar there, you know, <laughs> lamenting their mistakes. Oh, uh, well, uh, see, this might be, we might be having the same challenge that we have reviewing comedies with reviewing really bad movies. And there's so much, uh, well, that's the, the, I- Ancillary. Well, we're going to play a couple drops. I think that might All be right, sort let's of fun. do it. All right. uh, yeah. Here's, um, you know, when I talk about the innocence of Johnny, I think this has, I think this sort goes to say, and I think this is what Tommy's trying to tell us here. And I think, if anything, this maybe is the bigger point of the movie. Danny, don't worry about that. Lisa loves you too, as a person, as a human being, as a friend. You know, people don't have to say it. They can feel it. What do you mean? You can love someone deep inside your heart and there is nothing wrong with it. 
If a lot of people love each other, the world would be a better place to live. <laughs> so, I mean, he's giving you a little bit of... Uh... The cadence of Johnny mm-hmm. and the uh, flat line reading. Uh, yeah, he's a terrible the, actor. The, <laughs> I mean, he's just he's such a terrible actor. And, and that's, you know... I guess that's if, sort if, of funny. In that scene, Denny's like saying, I want to fuck your fiancé. And then Johnny's response is, it's okay to love somebody deep inside. It just, they're incongruous with each other, which is sort of funny. It, it, I, uh, I, I think that's what makes the movie. I, obviously, if you had maybe another Mark type uh, or a Greg Sestero compliment as mm-hmm. the Johnny character in this, this movie would not be as fun. The movie's fun because Tommy is, like, for that kind of flat line reading. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he just looks silly. He just like has this, uh, I don't know, like twelve-year-old sort of outlook of the world. Mm-hmm. But I think, looks so, like, I think, but I mean, I mean, you're talking about the Johnny character, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I, I just kind of think that's what Tommy Wiseau is going for. This well, he may, but he. Person. But the problem was, is he looked like a fucking Eastern European gangster. Yeah, I think <laughs> I think Tommy Wiseau's writing comes a little bit better in some of the exchanges um, with Lisa. So let me right, play well, yeah. a, a quick exchange with Lisa. Tommy's actually Tommy Wiseau's not in this scene, but I think you can you can feel his deft uh, hand on, on really catching the emotion. I love you. Why don't you ditch this creep? I don't like him anymore. I know, he's not worth it. Why don't I come up there and be with you? Sure, baby, come on up. I want your body. (laughs) You got it. I'm on my way. Bye. Bye. Oh, Oh, those lines are so terrible. I mean, Greg Steros just lamented the lines. (laughs) The thing is, it was such a chaotic shoot, and they went through so many like production teams because people got tired of Tommy's bullshit. (laughs) Because <laughs> he was not only was he this terrible auteur, he was really demanding of his actors. He wouldn't change the lines. He couldn't act. He couldn't remember his lines, even the short. Oh yeah, time. I read that he needed like cue cards in a few scenes. Yeah, which yeah. sort of gives it that Saturday Night Live feeling in a few scenes. You know, he's like staring yeah. off into space. He couldn't hit his yeah. marks. He was also a cheap bastard. On top of that, what is that the reason for the really? Fucking surreal rooftop scenes. Uh, is that he did? For some reason, he he the roof. They did it in a parking lot, which is why they had the green screen out the back because they they made the rooftop scene in a parking lot okay. uh, outside of a studio that they filmed all the interior. The lighting stuff. is just terrible. It just fucking looks like well, they, it was outside. Like, it was natural lighting. Oh, and, oh yeah, and the, the clock, the time, the shoot days were crazy, super long. Like Tommy had everybody get in at eight, and he would roll in at like one in the afternoon consistently. Oh, what a cock! And what a uh, he wouldn't he wouldn't think about. He would just sort of flip from scene to scene. You know, like they would tear sets down, and then they'd have them rebuild them. It was just yeah, the it, sets it was, all it was, like it was three a, of them. It was a disaster. Yeah, they, I think they had to make the rooftop set three times. Oh, God. Because he would keep coming. Well, the back problem with the it. rooftop set is that, like, they go into the, uh, I guess, the stairway, <laughs> and then they turn the wrong direction. Yeah, well, the and stairway it looks was, like that was just a, it was a little shack they built out of corrugated steel. But they were going the wrong way, so it looked like they were actually like 
flying over the edge of the the, the building. There was no extend. stairs. When they get in there, they just have to press themselves in the back and load themselves. <laughs> you can only fit one person in there at a time. So whenever and more than two people had to come off at the roof, they'd have to make a cut to show one person coming out and cut and actually, show the other person coming uh, out. I read that he actually had a rooftop available to him. Yeah, he, one of the whatever. buildings he owned, they could have shot. They could have shot on. But see, that was part of his secret. He didn't want to anybody know what was going on. He had these like fake producers that he said were really bankrolling it, but they really uh, weren't. He was bankrolling himself, but he didn't want anybody to know that. He he's just super secretive. It's just so weird. He's really a weird, protected personality. Yeah, but I think that I want your body line. You know, it got me hot and bothered just thinking about that. You know what I? You know what? Uh, who's the actress played Lisa? Juliet Danielle? Yeah, she was a real soldier. <laughs> that poor girl. Well, uh, yeah. Um, she, you know, you know what? I kind of like them that way. She had, a, she had, a, she's a little thick, uh-huh. and uh, she kind of had that uh, Britney Spears little kind of like je ne sais quoi about her, like facial. Yeah, that's like and, the. She's like the cute girl that works at the supermarket or the barista. Yeah. You know, I totally. I was like, yeah, I could totally. Uh, yeah, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, 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 I'm along with it. But uh, she had to film uh, only two sex scenes, even though there was three. Yeah, they pieced the third one together. Yeah, I know that that's the the second one with Tommy or Johnny. You're like, wait a minute, the same fucking sex scene. And the sex scenes are so like, okay, for starters, the sec first sex scene comes off what five minutes into the movie. Uh, yeah, they get right down to it. And the problem is. Is that okay? We're not watching porno. Mm-hmm. We're just watching like some, you know, uh, B movie relationship film. Why am I supposed to give a flying fuck about the you know the intimacy of these two characters unless I'm beaten off to it? And it's just like there's nothing there. Well, Tommy it's really re- wanted it. He uh, he. It was sort of a he really wanted. Well, if you notice how it's shot. It's more about Tommy than uh, Lisa. I mean, it's more about Johnny than Lisa. Because Johnny's always front and center. It's always his butt cheek that's hanging out. Yeah. See, Tommy, He's really into Tommy having wanted his to ass see himself show. look young and vital. And that was an important aspect of the film for Tommy Wiseau. Okay. So it was more of the sex scenes were more about showing him as a young, virile man. So it was, uh, well, yeah, that he was like a, a worthy mate. For mm-hmm. Lisa, you mm-hmm. know, and uh, uh, I, I, I was reading the trivia, and he was like, "He was like, why is like his ass inexplicably in these shots?" And he had something like, well, "If I don't show my ass, then nobody will come to see the film or something." Like, yeah, he had, he had his weird like he had something attitude. Was, yeah, he did. He did have a weird thing about showing his butt. It was very important. Actually, he and Greg Sestero had a big argument because Greg Sestero said, "I'm not showing my ass." In the sex, his sex scene with Lisa, yeah, and they had argued about it for quite a bit, and finally, uh, uh, Tommy was out, gave in, and, and so Mark didn't have to show his butt in that scene. So, <laughs> so uh, one of my one of the enigmas of this film is, for starters, necessarily why it's. I mean, there's it, you, when you had kind of done the initial scan, you said, you know, this looks like one of those. Uh, Cinemax, you know, pieces of shit. Skinemax. Skinemax. It's mm-hmm. like, but what about this film? Is maybe uh, 
I guess I wouldn't say rises above or <laughs> sinks below the uh, and just this from just kind of a just a you're one of the mill shitty Cinemax Skinemax film. Well, what this about is, this? this? Is, how how does this compare? Well, why is this movie unique in its shittiness, or why is this? You know, and and I kind of already laid it out there for yeah. myself and saying that it was watchably, it's watchably bad. It is a watchable film because it's so fucking stupid and there's these weird ancillary scenes and bad acting. Mm-hmm. And the pro and the thing is, is it's not intended. It's not done ironically. No, it's, it's not. It's sincere. Mm-hmm. And the sincerity of this film is I what what makes it unique in my opinion. Yeah, I think I think you really to really appreciate you need to know the backstory a bit. And I think that's probably where, you know, these actors you you quoted like uh the fat guy and then the old jolly guy, what's his name? Uh, anyways, them them liking this film. I think it's more about Oh, Baldwin uh, and Jonah Hill. Yeah, um I think it's more about a comment on movie making and desire. Those are two guys that you know, I'm sure they put a lot of work into that and they've worked like dogs to have the success they've had and they just they enjoy i mean they just get a kick out of seeing somebody else work really hard that doesn't have any innate talent and i think that just i don't know well, I, think, I think they admire it to a certain extent and uh they, you know they're just sort of amazed by it and i think that's why they like this movie i don't think see, they like that, this movie based on the movie itself the movie itself if you didn't if you didn't know and you'd never know any of the story about these people I don't. Th- I don't think this movie would be as interesting. I think you really. No, need I didn't to be know. I didn't do story. any back reading, but I didn't do any back reading about Tommy but, when I first you, saw this. You movie. You didn't do that, but you did other flavor commentaries about it, which I think add a lot to the film. Maybe, yeah. I, I you got the gist. You knew. I mean, I knew it was Tommy's deal. Right? I mean, and also and, the subject matter that takes it over the skin. It's a tragedy. It's a ham-fisted tragedy. But the, the Skinamax movies aren't usually aren't tragedy. They're about melodrama, and that's not yeah. that's not this movie. This movie is just is a, is drama. It's a, a it's an attempt at it, anyways. So in that sense, it's a little different. I mean, the Skinamax movies they sort of know what they are, and so they don't. Yeah, I suppose, they, don't yeah. they don't try anything too big. This movie right. doesn't know what it is. I mean, it does. I mean, it can't be what it wants to be. It can't be its vision, but it it doesn't. It makes a a terrible, uh, you know, sort of uh, spastic grab at what it wants to be. Well, and and in my opinion, it it it's tired. It's a tired plot. I you know I keep thinking, could you if you if you said okay, take the idea. Okay. Don't take anything else for fuck's sake. Just take the idea. Of okay, the well, the idea is there's a there's a super nice guy. He's successful. He's giving. He always worries about other people. He has some great friends, and the storyline is a couple of his two closest people in the world betray him, and he's right. devastated and, and destroyed him. by yeah. it and kills himself. That's the so. Storyline. You know, I, you could take that maybe to a Shakespearean level. Mm-hmm. Just just take the idea. You know, a mat, Try to get the most tactful people in the industry or in, in the in the art form mm-hmm. to rework it um well, they should remake this so, so if they remake the room 2017's the room the remake starring yeah. michael fassvander as johnny uh okay who's playing uh who's who's playing oh, lisa fuck, man who would i put uh, there uh who was, who was that who was that girl in birdman what's her name 
Uh, fuck. I saw that movie, too. I don't, I don't remember. Uh, I don't know. Um, Who plays Mark? Oh, Mark. Uh, uh, let's uh, Edward Norton. All right, shit. Let's have Ed, we'll have Ed Norton play Mark, and we'll yeah. have uh, um, let's see here. We'll have um, fuck man. Uh, put uh, Jesus uh, Emma Stone plays Lisa. Yeah, Emma right? Stone. Good choice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And we can throw uh, a couple. Of the, we can throw a couple of other people, like the goofy couple. We'll have like somebody fun in there. Yeah, yeah. We can uh, uh, yeah, and uh, and just have it have it rewritten, actors. and uh, I think it could be a fine movie. Well, would it? That's my problem. Well, a story like, about some it, guy getting betrayed by a, a woman that's sort of evil? I just, I, 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 I wonder if it's just too ham-fisted of a story to even be able to do anything with. I don't think so. It all depends you on the writing. I think you would need a, a much more complicated character than Tommy. You would well, you need, put the backstory. That'd be part of the rewrite. You put the backstory. You give them some motivation. You would need a family tragedy and or a drug problem. I mean, you need to. We do you, have a drug you, problem with Kenny. We'll blow that up. I mean, with, uh, <laughs> no, no, no. Johnny needs a drug problem. He can't no, do it with his no. weird adopted I, I kid. No, you don't want to do that. The idea is he's just he's a sort of pure Christ-like figure, and you sort of need that. Oh man, you need a yeah. And see that—that's the part that I wonder about. Is that could you even take the story? Well, it's a drama. And, Dramas are always sort of like that. But it's almost like it a, sort of sounds a, stupid on their face. It reminds me of like, like ancient tragedy, where none of these stories had made it into, you know, tropes of drama. It's like you know, we'll just uh, like we need a love triangle story or something. It, it, it seems just. You know, kind of like uh, I lament old filmmaking and its pacing and its. Uh, yeah, I think you know, I think the, that's sort of I think that's is the story that's too, too worked up here. on the on the criticism and and not thinking about the creation. I mean, we were you were just lambasting being 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 the critic uh, versus being the creator and how the critic is magnitude's lesser of a form. I, so I'm, I, don't, I think there. people get too worked up on being the critic. Okay. On, on on this sort of stuff. I don't see why it couldn't be a good film. Uh it, with decent acting. If reworked and, 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 and maybe um I mean it's just a tragedy. It could be great yeah. and it could be terrible. We just saw it be done poorly. The problem is, is there's just no emotional investment in Johnny at all throughout the film. So when he blows his blows blows himself away, you're like, Oh my god. It's like isn't that a little over the top? Wouldn't it be better like if he just uh you know uh Lost all his money and ended up on the street. You know, something a little bit more, uh, less overt, less, I don't know. Well, this movie's not about subtlety. And that's not really, that's not really Tommy. Rizal's it's one of the good time. reasons it's good, bad, I suppose. It's not a subtle film. I, and, I, think, uh, I think in a certain way, yeah. Here's another motivational issue. Why did Lisa just say, yeah, I'm done with Tommy? <laughs> it's like, that never came well, to why light. Why does she have to be a bitch about it and try to torture him? Well, because she, well, she was just an inherently evil person. I know, but that's like the problem. There's no motivation for why Lisa's so horrible. No, there's not. And that's and that becomes part of the bad movie element of this. Yeah, absolutely. It's just like, just I'm diabolical. Like, all right, Maleficent. Which well, is like when all the discussions she has with her mom. Oh, her mom. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the, the whole the thing about her, him hitting her and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, she's just a bad, she's a, just an evil a bitch. I mean, that's sort of how Tommy Wiseau sees the world, I think. 
Well, we failed to get into the good, bad, and the ugly. But, uh, um, I mean, this movie doesn't have any good. No, no, I, I, I disagree. I mean, oh, you do. Okay, all right. I, I think, I think the story. I mean, I think the idea of sticking the to the story could be salvaged. Tragedy. I think. I think it's a good idea. I mean, I don't know. See, I'm of the opinion. I don't know if the story could be salvaged. I guess maybe that's where I, I I'm a little bit stalled, unbelieving of 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 an eventual redemption. You know, of of the room. I'm like, could you? We were try, Could you do it? I, I don't know. It, it, you'd have to complicate it up and make in more interesting characters by a huge stretch. Yeah. No. No. I mean. If you really wanted to really get something that brought a tear to your eye, certainly. I uh, I mean, as far as the bad, I think that uh, I think this. Well, we kind of been talking about that for an hour. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, those sex scenes are probably the bad for me, <laughs> That's right? So terrible. Uh, the ugly. How about that MacGyver job he does on the surveillance? Yeah, what the fuck? He like plugs in something to the phone. And, uh... <laughs> There's a whole story behind that. It's actually pretty funny because. I guess Tommy was actually records all his telephone conversations in reality. What? Really? Yeah, yeah. He's a real. He's a really. He's really uh, paranoid. Paranoid sort of guy. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that whole idea. That whole idea. And it's a weird. The timing doesn't even make any sense in the movie. Like he sets it up, and then the final recording happens like a half hour later, right? Yeah. Some yeah. of the timing, like one thing I still can't figure out, and no light was shed on it from the book, is. Remember that scene where they all get dressed up in their tuxes? Oh, that's a and have great a, scene. Have a game of out in go the play fucking football, football in the alley. The alley. Yeah, in well, their tuxes. I was thinking they. I thought that was that was the wedding day, right? I was thinking, oh, no, we're to the wedding the, yeah, day, right? Or but something. then we get back and we're sort of we're at the same point in time. So why would why did they get those tuxes on? There's no reason. That's it, there's shit like that in the movie that just <laughs> there's no reason blow was, your that, mind. That had to be originally be like they're getting ready to go to the wedding, and for some reason, yeah, Tommy was that had this fascination with his youth, and he really wanted to show himself being sporty, like with the with the football. well, like they were jogging, Mark and him were jogging, uh-huh. like talking about loans, it, it, it just it, like totally out of place. Yeah, he was really. Know? It's it's really he was he was just really. Stuck on his image of this youthful man, which is the long dark hair and the yeah. ass shots, and mm-hmm. you know the, the uh, being sporty, running. We can throw the I can throw the ball around with all my good buddies, sort of thing. The because so he really was actually sort of a lonely, friendless man in reality. Oh, I, in real life, yeah. See, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's it, like uh, the movie's meta that way. Well, he was tough uh, to deal with. He was sort of nuts, and he was sort of mean and sort of is, an asshole. So it was tough he, for people to be friends with him. Is he? What's become of Mister Wasal? I have no idea. Know? I haven't. I don't know what he's been doing since. I knew that. He, I guess you know. Since the room is now a midnight movie, uh, I've heard of instances, at least in the trivia where I read, that he uh, shows up occasionally oh. to these midnight viewings, mm-hmm. and will do Q and A. Yeah, but I can't imagine what that Q and A is about because. Does does has he finally come to the realization that what he created is a, is a comically bad film? And it'd be tough to know. I don't know. I see. It'd be hard that it doesn't seem like he gets it. It would like be hard. It'd be hard to imagine somebody not getting it. But if there's anybody who will be hard headed enough to not get it, it would be Tommy Wiseau. 
So why would you go and pillory yourself? Because he wants to be a star. A... He wants to be part of the Hollywood. He wants to be known. He wants to be famous. I know, it's a fascination of his. So if you got a group, surreal... a room full of a couple hundred people that are interested in you, no matter what the reason, that's a couple hundred people that are interested in you. That weird? That just seems weird. I it, it's it's well, it's just sort of I the mean, fascination with stardom. I mean, a lot of people get those. I mean, Greg Sestero had those stars in his eyes. I mean, that's important to a lot of people. But but to realize that, you know, I mean, it would be like me, like who had put my heart and soul and my vision into my novel, and then it took off unexplicably mm-hmm. because uh, for whatever reason it it you know it was unintendedly hilarious some in, to some group yeah people, yeah and then i and then it's like you know but it's selling through the roof would you go to a book signing i don't know yeah, to me to me just. it seems you know because you always hear of artist vision like people who um for whatever reason dismiss an entire interpretation of their work you know like alan moore is famous for this like all the movies the movies that get made from his comics uh, I don't know if he likes a damn one of them, uh, you know, but he doesn't have anything to do with them afterward. Uh, like, you know, f- whether it's from hell or the Watchmen or any of these, <clears throat> I guess, interpretations of his comics. He just says, oh, fuck it. I made my money and I'm done with it. I don't want any to know anything about it. I don't want to be associated with it. Uh, I don't care if, you know, uh, revolutionaries in the Middle East are wearing uh uh, you know, um, oh God, who's who's the guy's mask? Fuck, I can't remember. Guy, uh, uh, Guy Fox. Yeah, yeah. I don't care if there's guys in Palestine wearing Guy Fox masks and protests of the Israeli state. I don't want anything to do with that movie. And and it's weird that Tommy kind of slithers back in to the spotlight of of this cult film. Uh, I, I, you know, I, unless he he goes. Good one, guys. All right, joke's on me. Uh, you're right. No, it's really no, bad. No, no. He doesn't have that sort of self-awareness. Isn't that weird? Well, what's that he weird? supposed to do? He's fascinated with being famous and being part of Hollywood, yet he has none of the skills to do that. I mean, what, what options does he have? I don't know. And it's one of those things, like, you could never come back from this film. There's no... Um, there's no redemption into serious filmmaking from this film. You know what I mean? Well, there was never any hope of serious filmmaking for Tommy Wiseau. It's kind of weird. It's, it's like a, it's like, like I said, it's a meta tragedy in the room. It's, it's, uh, this weird, um, vanity that, uh, creeps into creators. And it's, um, you know, the prize over the product. It's really weird. And and I don't get the psychology of it. So it's it's a it's a it's a strange psychology, but Tommy Wazow's a strange man. He's very strange. So anyway, I don't know if there's any more of the room. I it, we could kind of nitpick scenes, but there's so many every scene is a nitpick. Can we nick, can I mean, we nitpick one more scene? Yes, let's do it. Hi. Can I help you? Yeah, can I have a dozen red roses, please? Oh, hi, Johnny. I didn't know it was you. Here you go. That's me. How much is it? It'll be $18. Here you go. Keep the change. 
Hi, doggy. You're my favorite customer. Thanks a lot. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> I oh love god. that scene. That is that. That's, oh my god! About that scene. Well, that scene is awesome. That is the last scene they shot for the film, by the way. Really? Yep. Oh, that's weird. That's that's a funny scene for that reason that you mm-hmm. just heard. Yeah, the, it was I, a weird. It was a weird scene. It was near the end. They were they had shot in L.A., but this, they were picking up some. Uh, they did a day of sort of some guerrilla shooting, picking up some stuff in uh, in uh, San Francisco where it was set. It reminds me of. Uh, that scene in uh, David Lynch's Mulholland Drive, which I think is, in my opinion, is sort of his masterpiece. I don't know. People have a lot of different opinions about David Lynch, but mm-hmm. Mulholland Drive, I think, is the David Lynch masterpiece. Yeah. Uh, and there's the scene where Naomi Watts uh, has that interaction with that that old couple that she meets at the airport. And it has that weird conversational flair that you just heard. Uh, and it's intended to be, oh, I guess almost fantastical, you know, in its in its uh, cadence and and magical realism in the David Lynch mm-hmm. film. But in, in in this film, it's the same thing, but it's it's totally not done for effect, you know. Yeah, that's it's, a it's, really it's authentic. It's it's it's. Ah, it's it's really bizarre. I think the I think the film was on its third DP by that time, and I think that's maybe something that hurt it. Third DP. Mm-hmm. What's that? Director of photography. Oh, okay. And this and the, and the third guy was just sort of like this amateurish guy that could put up with it. I think. That's by the way, that were turned out so strange. Oh hi! Is uttered nine times mm. by Tommy. Oh hi! Oh hi. yeah, yeah. You know, actually, you find a lot that. Um, this whole movie is written in Tommy Wiseau's voice. And, yeah. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting how much of, uh, when Greg relates their conver- his conversations with Tommy, how you just hear it th- out of the mouths of all the characters in this movie. It's very strange. There was one, uh, the party scene. And did you ever figure out the spoons other than that? That's what they were. They were like using plastic utensils, this big, party that lisa had to plan and she didn't want to plan the spoons you mean on the the there's a whole thing with like plastic spoons i I don't you mean oh you mean the thing why people bring plastic spoons to the yeah that's because there's these big spoon wall art really yeah there's some spoon wall art. that's where they do the spoon thing uh because when he when tommy had to uh appoint the uh apartment set he just went to like a thrift store and they had like a mock apartment set up you just bought everything oh, okay. in that setup, and that included the shitty wall art. <laughs> All right. Uh, the scene during the party where uh, Lisa just says, let's go out and get some fresh air, everybody. Yeah. And then the fucking whole like apartment clears out. Yeah. I'm like, who would ever? It's just so weird. And so she could, like, mack on Mark or something while everybody was outside. Very strange. But just, like, have you, has anybody, is that a thing at a party? Have you ever been in a party? It's like, Hey everybody, let's go outside and get some fresh air. Like, no, I'm cool. <laughs> I'm just gonna sit on this couch and you know drink my scotch and soda and listen to the music. I'll catch you guys later. Yeah, it's very yeah, strange. Yeah. It's the, like, the, the party encouraged is, the whole room. The party is a very strange bit of business. It's really where oh, Lisa just is real, turns into a real demon. Oh my god! Yeah. All right, man. I I don't know how much more of the room we can. Uh, uh, carry on about but is there a review of the room at all 
This week, uh, we turn to Kurt Loder, which is interesting. We've never read anything from him before because he was such a movie guy on MTV back in the 90s, right? We did all the yeah. news stuff. But um, anyways, he wrote an article for Reason magazine, strangely enough, two days ago. Two days April ago. 24, 315, where he off talks the presses. The Room. Um, so uh, this is pretty interesting that it's so recent. It's like hot off the press. Um, he says about the room in the pantheon of shitty movies, Tommy Wiseau's the room has risen to preeminence. The picture is an unforgettable collision of demented ambition and utter incompetence. I think, I think we really, we hit on that pretty hard. Yeah. Yeah. I think that sums it up nicely. Um, I think he's writing this because some of the guys from, uh, mystery science theater 3000, uh, got together recently and did like a live. Uh, I I did read, yeah, that that, that their MSTK MST three K riff tracks of the room is 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 amazing, but I haven't heard it yet. So. And uh, it's interesting that they talk about. He talks about. Like, he says May sixth coming up in like ten or so days. <laughs> in like two weeks, <laughs> maybe they're, they're came going, out two thousand three. This live riff tracks of the movie uh like so, by some sort of internet connection to 650 theaters that's fucking the crazy so our listeners might want you know i, God, I might want to go check that out that'd probably yeah, be pretty right. funny especially since i really got like the whole story in my head right now from reading the yeah, book. I, I think it might i think it might be pretty fun uh so if uh, any of our listeners out there decide to do that this uh see what would the, be the names i guess riff tracks r-i-f-f-t-r-a-x and the guys are uh, from MST3K are Mike Nelson, Kevin Murphy, and Bill Corbett. Yeah, There's two of those guys probably... listed in the robots. And Mike must be, I the, think... would, must be the guy, maybe? I don't yeah, know. I think you can probably Google it and, and hone in pretty quick on where, where it might be playing. But uh, 650 theaters, that means it's like every state. Yeah, I'm, sure there's, I'm sure there's one in Seattle. Um, That's crazy. The, he says a key element, this Kurt Lowe just he had a couple more things to say. Uh a key element of a truly bad movie is a complete uh, ignorance of its manifest awfulness. Yeah, I, which hear, I think is right. And he says, you know, other movies that try to be bad are bad, but the, they're bad intentionally. So when he says, "which kills the fun," which I think is some movie you can't really yeah. try to be bad, it ends up being sort of just sort of stupid. Well, and that's the thing. That's why I don't like movies like Sharknado because, or mm-hmm. you know, what cro- Crocodile. Uh, dawn or whatever those stupid mm-hmm. sci-fi movies because they're intentional schlock and intentionally bad mm-hmm. and that's like yeah like you said it's no fun because you're like yeah well if you if you start out you know with a shitty budget to make a, a stupid film uh you're 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 gonna succeed but here it's it's the uh sincerity and honestness of wasau's original vision falling so flat is really its charm you know it's mm-hmm. it's the reason you're watching it and you're having fun watching it because yeah. you're like did this guy not fucking realize how terrible this fucking and the answer movie is, is yes he did not realize <laughs> yeah, I know. yeah so how is that humanly possible um he's an he's a very unusual fellow he's a very unusual i know fellow. it's crazy so in, in that sense i think this movie is i don't know if i could appreciate with all of the backstory i have in my head now but this is the movie that's 
a singular accomplishment, but it's but it's terrible. See, it's a weird it's, it's a weird it, clients of something that's that is very interesting, very it's a one of a kind thing and it's also bad at the same time. See, there's this maybe it's sort of a duality, but there's like the uh mad genius who hates everything he does yet everything he does is like some kind of you know like usually postmortem turns out to be brilliant masterpieces and 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 then there's people like Tommy Wasau who um like everything they do is great yet uh is absolute and utter shit yet has sort of the same staying power in a strange kind of way, you know. It's a very, it's a very weird thing. This movie, <laughs> it's very weird. That's anything else on no, that? No, that's about it. As timeliness is sort of funny. I yeah, guess that is that is really weird. That. that we've been delayed for so long. It must have been, must have been Tommy staring down from us on I from know. on high. I think he, no, he's not dead. Oh, he's not dead. That's right. I, didn't forget. <laughs> I don't think he's dead. No, still alive from what I can tell. <laughs> Maybe bought another apartment or two. I don't know. You know, I wonder. I wonder if this movie is making money at this point. I guess that that might be. Uh, I doubt it. I don't think this movie would ever make back the money he invested. No, 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 no. But I mean, it's getting runs in theaters and shit. I mean, he's got to be making some some money off of it, right? They can't just like, you know, play his shit in a theater without giving him money. Now he had it run for months in in la after it came out yeah there was some bit of trivia that there was a sign for it yeah there was also a sign yeah that was up for that that was up for like two or three years yeah he spent hundreds of thousands of dollars he basically he had this theater running it continuously for quite a while but basically he just paid the theater to run it and uh and then made like a tenth of his money back on ticket sales it's fucking hilarious i mean it's just crazy he had a dream and he had no skill, but he did have a few million dollars. Oh, so, okay, there was there was one question that I actually read and I never got answered, is why the movie's actually called The Room. Oh, yeah. Um, it, that, well, in the book, they suggest that uh, when he originally comes up with the idea, I think this is, what, this is what Greg Sesteros, that he says, I can make a movie as good as this movie, uh, The Talented Mr. Ripley, but it's all going to take place in one room. All the trash was in it, one uh, room, yeah. And it didn't. It sort of did. It was the apartment, yeah. Yeah, but there was like stupid scenes. That was the idea. Did you hear another story why it's called The Room? No. Well, I, I had read the trivia that he he was just like, because rooms are intimate places. <laughs> no, I don't know. My, I think that it was part of the genesis. He came up with the name before the, sto- the story even. He wrote the story. Oh. So, uh, yeah, I, I hope everybody goes out and sees this film at the theater. I think I might try awesome. to see it. I don't know. I mean, you, uh, we should uh, see when we go check well, it now, out. No, man, Mad Max uh, Fury Road's coming out. I got I to gotta save my silver bullet for, the, Look, for going to check that out. Just bring your kid over to your neighbor, you know, to say, you know, hey, can you just watch this kid for a while? I got to go see a movie. Get a couple I gotta of be honest, man. I, I I got a little bit. I know I'm gonna be horribly disappointed, like I am with all reboots and remakes and mm-hmm. all that kind of. You know, like the new Star Wars trailer, I could give a flying fuck about. Everybody starts jizzing over. I'm like, you know what? You've already seen Harrison Ford come back to life as one of his old '80s iconic characters, and how good was that? Oh, it was awesome you with know? those aliens and those crystal skulls. Uh, 
So when I see him as Han Solo, I'm like, yeah, whatever, buddy. Uh, I I don't know. I I I I guess my greatest hope for the new Star Wars movie is that it's watchable. Uh, but I I don't hold out much hope. Uh, I'm not a big fan of the Star Trek reboots. I don't think they hold. I don't think they yeah. pale in comparison. They're just action movies. I'm with they don't you. have any of the beauty of science fiction like the other movies did. One you. and two, I thought were. I mean, we should do them sometime. I will do them sometime in this podcast. I think Star Trek: The Motion Picture and Star Trek Two are two very different, very good pieces of science fiction. I would agree with you on that. One. And a lot better than these two Star Wars movies, where it's just like some bullshit action movie. Anyway, uh, I gotta say though, I, I got I got a little bit of a. I kind of got a little bit of a fire lit for uh, the new Mad Max film. And uh, I don't know why. It looks just fucking crazy. I think it'll be uh, fun. Well, it has a great actor in it. It has a couple of great actors in it. Well, and, and, and it's 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 directed by the original director of the Mad Max films. Oh, I didn't know that. So, yeah, George Miller, who, who did the, the three original. Hmm. Uh, it's filmed in fucking Namibia, which seems just insane. Namibia? You would f- well, I guess they must yeah. have got a good deal. I don't know. It seems insane, like, you know, to go to that extreme. Mm. And it has the original villain of the original Mad Max film, the guy who played, uh, not the toe cutter. Fuck, I forget the big, his name. The big muscular guy? Yeah. The, no, no, no. The first Mad Max film. Oh, the first one, not the second one. Yeah. Who's the was the first one? The, the head the cop, of the biker The bad gang. cop? I, no, 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 no. I, he, was, he was the head of the biker gang. Mm. I think he was called the toe cutter. Hmm. He was the guy that gets uh, totally plowed by the semi, like gets run over in gratuitous fashion. Comes back? No, he's dead. He's dead. Oh no, no. Oh, this this is a reboot. It's a reboot. Yeah, but he took that guy and he made him a villain. Same guy. Made him interesting. So uh, in Charlize Theron, yeah, no, she's she's a great actress. Yeah, the previews look fucking insane, and so I'm like, you know what? I think I might be on a board on this. I have such low expectations. That uh, if I watch it and I'm entertained, uh, I'll, I'll uh, you know. I, I so you would rather go see Fury Road than go see the MST3 guys, MST3K guys lampoon the room? It's a toss up, my friend. I don't know. I don't have that many options. I can only, I don't have that many bullets in the chamber to go see that many films. But I, it would be a toss up. I, I would say uh-huh. that. But I think if I wanted to go see something on the big screen, it'd probably be Mad Max. Mm hmm. Well, certainly a movie I think would uh, benefit from seeing it on the big screen. You could watch yeah. the room MST3K thing in your own home. Yeah, or on your phone. It'd be more about the crowd, the energy of the crowd at the theater. That's true. Yeah. That's true. It'd be, what kind of crowd is that film going to attract? Bunch of fucking hipster bearded people with skinny jeans. I know. And some okay. chicks with all yeah. tatted up. Well, that might be interesting. All right, so uh, next week, Mr. Hutt, hopefully there'll be a next week. Hopefully. It might be two weeks. It might be three weeks. Who knows? We'll figure it out. It doesn't really matter in the end. I know. We'll still crank them out eventually. Mm -hmm. So, folks, don't worry. I know we've been getting emails about our, uh, I guess, I I wouldn't call it apathy. I really wanted to do podcasts, but I've just been in such shitty shape. No, I mean, you lost your voice. I mean, what are you supposed to do? I'm not, I don't think we need to worry about it. It's all good. We'll get them out. We're, we're not ending it any any anytime soon. So uh, next time, I should say, hopefully next week, will be. Uh, 
I would call it one of my favorite movies. It's a foreign film, so hopefully that won't dissuade anybody. But uh, it's uh, Christoph Kozlowski is one of the probably greatest European directors in the past 50 years. Uh, he did a, a trio of films as, as sort of a um, homage or honor of, of France in a kind of weird way, weird way I don't quite understand. Uh, blue, white, and red which are the colors of the flag. And um, Blue and White are, are very good films, but they're not my favorite. The last film that he did was Red. And, oh, I forget the, the woman who stars in it. Unbelievably hot, at least in my opinion. But it's, um, it's, I, I don't, it's, it's a fantastical film, but in a weird way. And uh, it, it, it's, it's just, it's kind of an unbelievable piece of filmmaking, especially the end. It blows you away. That was and, the uh, you had that was that contained a complete lack of anything specific. I know because <laughs> I didn't want to give anything. <laughs> That's away. fine. Don't. I don't think you should. Didn't want to give anything away there. Uh, you know, I, I if, if our listeners are not into foreign films, I would beg them to uh, put on the reading glasses and, and check out Red. Because uh, uh, it kind of hits me in my romantic wheelhouse a little bit, mm -hmm. and I don't have much of one. Uh, but uh, there's there's sort of an element of there, element of redemption there that I think is uh, an interesting sort of portrayal. It's a good fucking movie. So uh, next week we're gonna do Red. I think there might be another movie called Red because there's like Red Two. Retired, extreme, extremely dangerous. Yeah, no, it's not that. It's uh, uh, Christoph Kislowski's Red. And uh, we'll be doing that next week, hopefully. So uh, until then. I like you very much. Lover boy. <laughs>